Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. All right, we have some ground to cover this morning, so let us go ahead and begin. If you would, you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Samuel 20. That's the first place we're going to spend uh, quite a bit of time in. Uh, we're going to continue our discussion from last week. We started talking about David from the shepherd's perspective and talked about the compassionate heart that he had and, uh, and trying to imitate that heart and put it in our lives. So we spent a lot of time talking out of Psalm 23 and dissecting it uh, line by line uh, there to see the, the attitude, the relationship David had with God and how God was his shepherd. Today we want to look at that perspective from looking at occurrences in David's life where he displayed such action with interacting with people. I want to start out first this morning uh, talking about uh, his interaction with a certain individual named Mephibosheth. And um, this is not one of those parts of David's life that gets talked about an awful lot, but when you study it, it is one of those events in his life that really displays him as a man after God's own heart, uh, really. So, 1 Samuel 20 is the background for this. I'm going to read from 2 Samuel 9, because what we're going to talk about is presently happening. It starts there. But we've got to understand the background before we get there. So, in 2 Samuel 9, David has consolidated the kingdom all into one. Okay, so he's in his reign over all Israel now. Um, Saul is dead. He'd been killed in battle. And in verse 1, it's on David's mind. He says, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? For Saul's son Jonathan and David were very, very close friends. We're going to talk more about that next week when we talk about David from the perspective of being a friend. But uh, uh, the background for this, though, comes out of 1 Samuel 20. And this comes out of a discussion that Jonathan was having with David. Saul, his father, was after David's life, uh, persecuting him. He knew that David was going to take the throne after Saul, and yet Jonathan was loved David so much he was compliant with that. He, he knew it, he accepted it, and if he had been alive, he would have supported David in that. So let's start with verse 11. I'm going to read through verse 17. Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, and I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. 
Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Uh, so this is on Jonathan's mind. Of course, he would wanted David to have shown him kindness while he lived. He wanted that shown to his house um, after Jonathan uh, was dead. It was common practice among rulers of that time. In fact, you probably could still see this even today. Uh, but in that culture in that time, if you had one family that succeeded another one, that was dangerous for the family that had been in power. It was not uncommon for them to kill all the family members so that nobody, there could be no chance anybody would even stake a claim to the throne. And that's what this discussion really is about here. So Jonathan and David are coming to an agreement, a promise that David makes to Jonathan, uh, that he will not cut off his house or his descendants after him. Saul reiterates this in 1 Samuel 24 with David, verse 21 through 22. Uh, so this is after one of the incidents where um, Saul is seeking for David's life and, and David has an opportunity to kill Saul but relents from doing that. And, uh, and he rebukes Saul. And so this causes Saul to, to say something here in verse 21-22. He tells David, Therefore swear now to me by the Lord, you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So, of course, some of his descendants were killed. David did not extinguish his house, uh, particularly with Jonathan uh, there. So David fully intends to keep these promises. And so then a lot takes place between then and what we're getting in 2 Samuel 9. So as we get to the end of 1 Samuel, we find that Saul is in battle with the Philistines, and he's killed. And... uh Along with Saul, Jonathan is also killed in that battle. So three of Saul's sons are killed, Jonathan, Malkishua, and Abinadab. Then we have another one of his sons named Ishbosheth who remains alive. And Ishbosheth tries to take the throne over Israel. And this leads to conflict between he and David's army. Eventually, Ishbosheth gets weaker and weaker. And then he is killed by assassins. And so... Then this gets us to 2 Samuel 9, then if you would turn there. So with all these sons of Saul that are killed, it is no wonder that David says in verse 1 of chapter 9, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul uh, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there have been a lot of them had been uh, killed in battles uh, with enemies. And a, uh, so David is mindful of the promise he'd made to Jonathan can he still fulfill that? Is there anybody that's left there that he can extend that to? So, one of the things that this shows with David, and one of the things about him and Jonathan, they were such close friends with each other, death really could not separate them. Jonathan had made a vow to, uh, uh, David had made a vow to Jonathan years before. Jonathan's dead. Might be easy for him not to um, bother with it feel like he has to. He might even think that he would be uh, under threat if he fulfilled this vow. David was not a man like that. He intended to keep his promise with Jonathan that he had made even all those years afterwards. And uh, that is an example uh, for us today. So how good are we at keeping our promises and vows we make in our relationships? I'm going to take marriage, for example. 
and that how 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 are we at that? How are, are we in the church at that? But uh, uh, breaking vows and uh, is something that God does take seriously and promises uh, of all kinds. Romans one verse thirty one. You know, Romans chapter one it gives that passage, and then they're talking about. Uh, the Gentiles and how corrupt they'd become, especially in regards to sexual immorality. But near the end of that chapter, Paul lists a whole list of stuff uh, that they were guilty in and to avoid. And one of those things in verse 31 is uh, the old King James Version listed covenant breakers uh, there. I think the new King James says untrustworthy uh, in that verse. And uh, that list is there as well in verse 32. Those who practice such things are deserving of death. Uh, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And so, we have that in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, David's son Solomon was reflecting on this subject in Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4, he makes this statement uh, that's interesting. He says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. And Solomon is showing wisdom there and so forth. But David was a man who was like that, uh, being a man after God's own heart. And that should be the case, right? Why would David be like that? Right, and that shows that that is a characteristic that God had. As well. If you're going to be a man after God's own heart, you have to mimic God in your life. And God... He's a God who keeps his promises, and aren't we grateful for that? And we know that in here. So, yeah. Um, Galatians 3, verse 28 and 29. Paul makes a remark here. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, he'd just been through talking about the promises made to Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So verse 29, he says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God had made promises to Abraham. Those promises were also made to us, and God is keeping those with us. So, uh, Titus 2, verse 11, uh, Paul writing to Titus... Um, here says, for the grace of God had brings salvation has appeared to all men. Um, yeah, so um, as, so that's one of his promises there of salvation uh, as well. So when you see how David interacts with Mephibosheth, and we'll see this in different characteristics of here, is a great illustration uh, from the Old Testament of a person extending grace to another. And that's true about what God does with us as well, right? So we, he's made promises to us, and he extends them to us. That's probably the, uh, the grace that we receive from him. David treats Mephibosheth that same way as well. So going back then to Second Samuel, you look at David's attitude, like I said in this. So, so death could not separate Jonathan's friendship from him. I think that was probably something that was on David's mind all the rest of his life. It would be easy for him to be bitter uh, about the way that Saul had mistreated him, and yet he remembered this friendship that he had with Jonathan and the promise that he made to him, and that uh, caused David to look for an opportunity to do good. 
uh, for someone else. And um, so extending grace to, to Mephibosheth, grace is extended to him because of another. That would be Jonathan uh, in that case. So the, the sad thing is that Jonathan is dead by this point. So as king, David can't really extend uh, anything good to Jonathan himself. But if there's somebody who's related to Jonathan that's still alive, he could still fulfill his promises by doing that with him. You think about our own lives. We go to our past, and I think with all of us, we could probably identify somebody uh, who, um, who is kind to us. Uh, that we're very grateful for to have had in our lives with somebody who may have passed on uh, by this point. And um, maybe we can't do something for them directly, but we could do something for someone else in honor of them um, as well. Maybe by doing that with a family member of theirs or being kind to them or being kind in our own lives to others because of what somebody else uh, did for us, uh, what somebody else showed us. Um, as well. And so God did that with us, right? With his son. Um, Ephesians 4 and verse 32, a verse that I really like a lot. Um, talking about God's forgiveness and in the instruction um, in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. God forgave for Christ's sake, it says in some translations. Of there, so God forgives us for Christ's sake um, there as well, and that shows David shows that kind of attitude in doing kindness uh, to um, um, Mephibosheth here. So, uh, so let's go through through one more point then. Uh, if you're looking at David and how he interacted with Mephibosheth, the way it was not something that Mephibosheth necessarily deserved. A grace is extended to those who are undeserving, and that is a characteristic David had that is reflected in the way that God treats us as well. So going back to 2 Samuel 9, verses 2 through 3, we're gonna, David's going to figure out that somebody does exist uh, that he can um, be kind to. So there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. The king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? It's interesting, David says the kindness of God. He, he relates the source of where that's coming from. Ziva said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Now, it's very interesting. That's Mephibosheth. And there were other descendants of Saul that existed. I don't know why Ziva did not mention them here in this case, but he does mention Jonathan's son. He was lame, and that lameness came from a childhood accident after he, his father and his grandfather were killed. A nurse fled with him, uh, afraid. It may have been she was afraid that David might have come over and, and kill the family. I don't know. I'm just saying that as a possibility. Uh, but in uh, running, I think she hastily dropped him, and that was an accident that left him lame in his feet. Uh, so he was permanently handicapped in that way. And so David shows kindness to him. And uh, so, so the king says, uh, where is he? In verse 4, he says, Ziba says, indeed, he's in the house of Machar, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machar. And uh, then it gets in this interaction that he has with Mephibosheth. So uh, 
It's a type of kindness we'll see that David extends to him. Mephibosheth could never repay it um, to David. And God is that way with us in what he has shown us. Uh, In Ephesians 1 and verse 7, um, It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I like that term, riches of his grace. I mean, think, of, think of the valuableness of it. Think of the amount that it is. So riches of his grace. So it says that the forgiveness of his sins. And like, well, what, all, what all the kindness that God has shown us? What all could be described in riches of his grace? I could think of these things on here. Um, the gift of Jesus uh, himself. Um, the word of God that we have for instruction and how to live our lives. Justification, as said here in this verse. The abundant living that Jesus has promised to us. Uh, Prayer, the avenue that we have to communicate with God and to let him know our requests and our our, uh, the things that we are thankful for. The hope that we have of eternal life and the salvation that is ours. Ephesians 2, verses 7 through 9, says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us, for in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, uh, this is not saying that we don't have to be obedient to God and to his commands. Of course we have. It's part of having an obedient faith. It is saying that my works are not such that I can boast that I have saved myself, uh, or that I have earned God's grace. Uh, with him, so uh, we see that here, and a, uh, that was kind of the way that Mephibosheth would have been with David from a physical standpoint, um, as well with him. So a few other points that are there, but uh, like I said, I don't like hearing myself talk, and would love to get additional comments on this. So anybody has anything that they want to say or relate to, um, please raise your hand or uh, say something. I know there's got to be something. Don't fool me. Okay, then. You forced me to do it. We'll continue on. Then. Another thing I want to point out is the way that, that David graciously treated Mephibosheth. And this is something that was very practical for us in interacting with other people. It's something God does for us, too, but something that we can take as an example is... The grace that David showed drove away the fear that Mephibosheth had interacting with him. You can tell that here when Mephibosheth approaches David in verse 6. Now, this area that Mephibosheth lived in was kind of out of the way in, in the wilderness some. So it would kind of give you the impression that Mephibosheth, mm, as far as David was concerned, wanted to be left alone from him. You know, don't take a chance on uh, uh, any designs David might have on him or his family. You kind of see that reaction with Mephibosheth. There's no telling what he was thinking internally when David's the servants came to to get him and fetch him to the king. Uh, I think he was probably terrified uh, to an extent. So verse 6, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Mm -hmm. 
Like I said, he was afraid. He was probably thinking his life was over <laughs> at that point. And David, seeing this, calmly handles the situation, his fears, by saying, fear not uh, to him uh, there. And a... Uh, You know, when we interact with people and in our relationships with each other, isn't that something that we want to have in our lives, that people are not afraid, even if they think that uh, uh, whatever it is, sometimes they might think stuff negatively of us, sometimes for no good reason uh, in that, right? And uh, being able to deal with a situation as well as David calmly deals with that there. It's something that reflects God's nature as well as Glenn. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That is true. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Glenn's pointing out how altruistic this was of David to do this, right? Because Jonathan or neither Jonathan or Saul are alive uh, for which they could he could get anything beneficial from even uh, from then. So he's showing that uh, to Mephibosheth because he feels in his heart that it is the right thing to do. It would have been the compassionate thing to do uh, for him. And isn't that something for us to imitate in our lives as well? Because that's not only just something David does. Being the man after God's own heart, he's only imitating God. So doing that, God is, is that way with us, right? So thinking of the New Testament, even though this passage is quoting from the Old, and going back to the book of Hebrews in, verse, in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, he says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God's interaction with Christians here. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So what God has done for us drives our fears away. Uh, Hebrews 4 and verse 16, listen to this. For who... I'm in chapter 3, hold on. Uh, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If Ibosheth could have done that with David, we can do that with God. David was aware of this in his relationship with God out of the Psalms. And one of my favorite passages of the Psalms, Psalms 46, the first three verses here. David writes that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What does this cause you to do, David? What is your attitude? Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. God had been that way with David. And David is that way with Mephibosheth. So David is our example. And trying to be after God's own heart, we must imitate God in that as well. So, going back to chapter 9, verse 8. So, we see David, he's making these, these promises to Mephibosheth. And so verse 8, Mephibosheth bows himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? What David was extending to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth correctly sees that it should be humbly accepted. Uh, there, he uh, 
And Mephibosheth has to accept it to, to benefit from it uh, there. So I, uh, that shows the attitude. It's interesting that in front of the king, he compares himself with such humility to him. He says, why should you look upon a dead dog as I am? So that's what he thought he would be in the king's sight um, and everything. So, uh, And, you know, that's the way it, it, it is sort of with us and, and God as well. We don't measure up with God's standards and we accept uh, that what he has promised to give us, of course, we accept that on his terms. Um, going back to Ephesians again, Ephesians 2 and verse 1. Uh, and you who, were made alive, you who he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So without Christ, we were dead. Uh, but through him, we know from John 10, we have abundant life uh, because of him because of him as well. And so, then going on to the next point, and the last point that I want to make with this, though we will go more into this story. There's some stuff I do want to cover. Let's read what David says to him in verses 9 through 13, or he says this to Ziba. So, Ziba had been over Saul's household, and so David's going to give him instruction on how to treat Mephibosheth. King called to Ziba, Saul's servant, said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. And Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and also who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. So not only did he show kindness to Jonathan's sake, we can see him being having a physical impairment, um, David showed kindness to him as well. That wasn't always true in the ancient world with people and the way they treated uh, those that were handicapped. Of course, that was something that Jesus himself showed in his ministry as well. He interacted with people and some miracles that he performed. Interesting in this passage, through what David says and then through what's described in verse 13, you see that phrase, eat at my table, eat at the king's table, occurs four times in that. He treats Jonathan's son... I mean, so great was his love for Jonathan. It's interesting to me that he treats Jonathan's son as if he's his own. He eats at the table with the king's sons. Uh, that's listed there. He gives him the lands. Um, later on in 2 Samuel 21, when uh, some uh, of Saul's uh, descendants have to be killed because of the Gibeonites there, John, uh, David makes sure that Mephibosheth is spared. That's another occurrence uh, where that happens. So... But the kindness that uh, that David extended to him all throughout Mephibosheth's life, he gave him a place at the king's table. And isn't that a, a great way to describe what we have with Christ as well, King Jesus? Hasn't he given us a seat at his table as well? And what he is, does he treat us like one, does God treat us like one of his own sons? And there uh, we sit uh, sit there with him. So. Ephesians 2, going back to that, this time looking at verses 4 through 7. Mm. 
Forgive my pause here as I turn to that, but it'll be worth it. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then later, in one of my favorite passages, Philippians 4, if you look later in that chapter, verse 19, uh, Paul wrote there, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So that uh, attitude that David displays to Mephibosheth to eat at his table and to be his, like his son and to eat there continually, um, is it, he's just being a man after God's own heart and doing that. And that's the way God treats us. And we want to have that kind of attitude towards people as well. So this is not the end of the story between David and Mephibosheth. There's some interesting things that happen later in 2 Samuel as well. So let's just go through this real quick. But when we get to 2 Samuel 16, this is during the Civil War taking place between David's army and his son Absalom's army. Absalom's rebelling and trying to take the kingdom. And uh, Ziba makes an appearance to David in this case. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys. On them, two hundred loaves of bread, one hundred clusters of raisins, one hundred summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom to my father, of my father to me. Mm, so the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, O Lord my king. This doesn't talk very flattering to Mephibosheth. By the way Ziba's talking, it seems that all this kindness that David has shown to Mephibosheth is not being um, returned. As soon as Absalom gets, uh, tries to get a hold of the throne, Mephibosheth may see an opportunity, uh, there to get, um, um, the kingdom for his father. But, this in itself is not the end of the story. So, we know Absalom's army's defeated. David comes back. And he has an interaction with Mephibosheth here that kind of tells a different story than what Ziba said. So, 2 Samuel 19. Look at verse 24 through 30. I personally tend to think that Ziba was probably lying when he was talking to David about Mephibosheth's intentions, particularly that he may have been trying to get the land all for himself in it. This passage lends me to thinking that. Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. I think that's the Holy Spirit telling us that uh, about Mephibosheth and his intentions. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God, therefore do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king, yet you sit your servant among those who eat at your own table. 
Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? And the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather, let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Mephibosheth being Jonathan's son, was an interesting character. Jonathan was interesting too. Mephibosheth appears to be as well. We know that he had humility in approaching David. Seems that he was also not consumed by materialism either. Uh, he says uh, to uh, he valued his relationship to the king. It was more important to him than any of the land that he owned. So he's like, let Ziva have it. Then, if that's the case, and it's very interesting to me that Mephibosheth is showing kindness in return to David. Think of the loyalty he's showing to David in here. Mephibosheth is showing more loyalty than some of David's own sons did to him. Uh, in that, so a um, uh, very interesting relationship that the two of them had together. So, I will move on to another incident in David's life. But before I do, I will pause. Is there any comments or questions before we leave this account? Speaking of, you're not making me feel good here. I have to continue to talk. Ah, well, uh, I'll just have to be it then, I guess. So, uh, question. I'm not seeing the arm. Okay, Janet. We're talking about Mephibosheth? Must have. We do know that he had one son at least. I can't answer the question as far as. The text does not tell me, so I can only do speculation on that part. And I really haven't thought about it, Janet, so I can't uh, answer that, really. Um, but uh, she was bringing up a point that, uh, you know, in, in letting Zeba have uh, the land, we know that he had at least, Mephibosheth had one son. Why wouldn't he want to keep the land for his descendants? I don't know. Maybe he was just so grateful to David. I, I don't know the reason for that, Janet, but interesting question. Anyone else? See, I'm not afraid to say I don't know. Questions. All right, uh, let's next turn to, uh, if you would turn to the book of 1 Samuel and turn to chapter 30. I want to relate this incident um, here. I don't know if we got time, really, I would have to read the whole of chapter 30. And uh, I don't want to do that, so I'm going to try to read a summary of what takes place here. Now, this is before David has become king. And he's still kind of a, a bit of a, well, he's running from Saul still and, and kind of hiding out with the Philistines and the land uh, that they have. So, um, so this incident happens, though, that uh, he has to take care of, and he shows great le- uh, leadership and great heart in it, uh, what takes place. So when they're away... Okay, so I'll read this summary of it here. During David's flight for his life from King Saul, he took shelter in Philistine territory with Achish, king of Gath. So this is in chapter 29. Achish invited David and his men to go out with him to battle against the Israelites. When the princes of the Philistines realized David was with them, they were angry and demanded Achish to send David back because they feared David would turn against them in battle. 
So Achish assured David that he had done nothing wrong and that he was as an angel of God, but asked David to return home. So that's 29. Then you get into chapter 30. Upon arriving back at Ziklag, David and his men found that their homes had been burned with fire and all their wives and children had been taken captive by the Amalekites. Certain men in the group wanted to stone David because of the disaster that had fallen upon them. Okay, so it's interesting. If you go to verse, I believe that's 6. If you go here, David makes an interesting, or an interesting statements made about him that I think is important for all of us um, to look at. So when, when the wives and children are all taken, we see that David's greatly distressed. Right, of course, that was two of his wives that were taken. In that, but that's true with his men as well. The, the people were so distressed, they were speaking of stoning David right there on the spot. And so, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. So this is a very emotional reaction taking place there. But listen at the end of verse 6. It said, David strengthened himself and the Lord is God. Very important statement to look at there in this terrible situation, this situation that looks like it could get out of hand uh, really quickly. David goes and he realizes the source of his strength. So continuing on, uh, David asked Abiathar the priest to inquire of God as to whether he should pursue after the Amalekites. Receiving God's blessing, David and his 600 men pursued. When they came to the brook Besor, 200 men were too weak to go further. This is an important point here. Thus David left them with the baggage so the Amalekites were overtaken, and David and the other 400 recovered all that had been carried away, including their wives, children, and much spoil. But as they returned to the brook Besor, David saluted the 200 who had stayed behind. Men of Belial quickly spoke up, this is from the 400, that the 200 deserved none of the spoil. They claimed the 200 should only have their families return and then be driven away, no longer getting to be part of David's company. David Lee instantly put down the wickedness and said, But as his part is that goes down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarries by the stuff. They shall part alike. Uh, in addition to sharing the spoils with the two hundred, when David returned home, he sent gifts to many of his friends in several of the cities in the south of Judah. Okay, so this is a very interesting incident in David's, and it shows great wisdom that David had in interacting with this. So, some things we learn about here. We see the phrase brought up in here um, in verse 22. Uh, we learn about men of Belial and what they're... I like that phrase, men of Belial. Maybe my favorite insult uh, in the Bible. They're like using it at Family Bible Week if I get the chance to uh, to do it there. But uh, what this means is wicked and worthless men. This is what he's calling these guys in these 400 that didn't want to share the spoils and wanted to send everyone home, right? Uh they desired not only the spoils, but what should have gone to the others as well. So they wanted to permit the families to return. Well, it was nice they wanted to restore the wives and children, but it doesn't look like they wanted to give them anything to, to supply them on their way back either on that. It wasn't like that this was something that had not been done in Israel's history. If you go back to some of the battles in the book of Numbers, there was some division where People who were watching over supplies uh, got a share of the spoils as well as those who fought in battle, Numbers 31. But uh, it goes to show you every large group of people, if you have a large group of people, you will have those who reveal themselves to be not good in, in, the, in their heart eventually. And uh, you see that in the Bible. You see that here. That was true of, of Joseph, his family. 
That would be true of the Israelites. We even see that um, true in the apostles, even, uh, as well. Somebody shows up in there that, uh, that they're not, uh, don't have their heart in the right place. Uh, look at uh, an observation I have written down here. Even uh, in Second uh, uh, Corinthians 11, verse 15, Paul makes the remark there, Therefore is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So uh, what happened here can happen uh, with a group of people. So so we see this coming up, this... Uh, no, you didn't do that. Uh, this wickedness uh, taking place here. So what does David do about this? Another thing we learn is the significance of each task. The 200 that were, were so exhausted they couldn't cross over the brook, they still had the job to do. They had to tarry and watch over the supplies. That was an important thing to do, uh, right? By doing that, the other 400, the other soldiers, could run faster and they could fight unencumbered. So the task was vital. So because of that, they would share in the spoils as well. And that reflective of the church and the members that make up the body. The church is more than just having ministers and elders and deacons and so forth. They all have their roles, but the members also have their role. And uh, to um, make sure that the church runs as it should, missionaries, for instance, have to be supported. It's done with the help of uh, the members there. People have to be taught the gospel. That's something we do as children of God. So you can see that in 1 Corinthians 12 and what Paul writes about the body and all the, the parts of the body making uh, it run whole. Uh, this incident re- kind of reflects God's attitude as well to me in Matthew 20. You remember Jesus had that parable about the, the workers that um, all during the day they would come to work at different parts of the day. They all got the same wage, right? And the ones that came earlier complained about it. Uh, but... Uh, but uh, Jesus' point was that some thought it unfair, but the master pointed out they'd all agreed to it there. So he wasn't doing them wrong. So we don't want to be people that want to say to the Lord that we deserve more or that others deserve less um, either. So another thing I want to point out is that in this passage, David points out where the source of all blessings come from. Look at uh, verse 22. David answers them. Because they did not go with us, will we not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children that they may... Those men who went with David. Okay, this is the men talking. Except for every man's wife and children that they may lead them away and depart. David said to them, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Who is David giving credit for for this victory? Lord, exactly right. So, um, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. See, David had inquired of the priest, right? So all glory behind belonged to God. David recognized that. And so, if you go down to verse 26, he sends the gifts to the elders of Judah. So these people in Judah had helped David out while he was running from Saul. And this was, of course, helping David also would help him consolidate the kingdom behind him. But notice what he says to them. Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of David. And say the enemies of David. He says the enemies of the Lord. <laughs> Right there. So um, David saw God as the source of all blessings. Psalms 21 reflects that if you were wanting to, to look at that. Uh, that is true with us in the New Testament as well. James 1 verse 17. Um, so, again, as in this incident, we also learn about compassion. 
David displays this with the 200 that are there. They come out to congratulate David on the victory. David salutes them. In doing that, he would have inquired of their welfare. Uh, he saw the worst of the tasks that they were performed, and he divides equally. Uh, he realizes that no spoils would have been taken without God showing compassion and mercy on them. Therefore, because God had had such compassion with them, David has compassion with all in that as well. So, And that reflects our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He had compassion on the multitudes as well, seeing them as sheep that had no shepherd. In Matthew 9, we see him doing that for the sick, for the hungry, the blind, the diseased, the possessed, the bereaved. That's something that, uh, and we can see that in the book of James, uh, that we should be uh, doing as well in our lives. Um, uh, James 1, verse 27, James 2, 15 through 16. Point number five. In this passage, we learn about leadership. David uses his authority in it, so he's willing to do that. He doesn't get angry in this situation with them, though. He doesn't argue. He reminds them that they're brothers. You'll notice that he calls them brethren. Very intentional. That showed several things in doing that. They were brethren, of course, from a national standpoint, being Israelites. They were brethren from a spiritual standpoint. They were also brethren as fellow soldiers together as well. All three of those are probably tied up uh, in that phrase. He keeps talking about God and his goodness. He keeps it at the forefront, reminding them that the spoils did not come by their own doing. So David is using this as a moment to teach them uh, there. So uh, it points to their irrationality. Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turns away wrath. So leaders should look at this, elders, um, as well as us. Another thing that David does here is we learn about rewards. He rewarded all of the spoils regardless of the role that they played, those in battle and those who had watched over the supplies. The trusted friends and the elders who aided him uh, and his men from Saul, they also got something. David was loyal. And Jesus is loyal to those who serve him as well with eternal rewards. Even the parable of the talents and your different abilities, uh, God still rewards. So that closes that section. Just real quickly, if you wanted to look at another aspect that David shows compassion, look at the way David treated his enemies. Look at Saul in 2 Samuel 1, verses 17 to 27, the song of mourning that David says over Saul. Over Abner, Saul's commander, 2 Samuel 3, 33-34, another song there. And, of course, how David mourned for Absalom um, as well in the statements that he made uh, there and see the way that he treated them, not just in what he said personally to the people around him, but in the words that are recorded by the Holy Spirit for all Bible readers to read uh, as well. So if you want to take some extra study, look at those passages as well. That's all I have time for. You are dismissed. We will look at David as a friend next week in the committed heart that he had. We'll spend a lot of time on Jonathan. If we have time, we'll do Nathan as well. See you then. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer... Send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.